Who here has heard of an organization called New Tribes Mission? How many of you have heard of an organization called Ethnos Canada? Those are the same organization. We did a name change last year, so I'm going to go into that a little bit. So we were founded in 1942 as New Tribes Mission. And our current tagline is a thriving church for every people. So that's uh, the organization that I am serving with. Um, But before we get into that, I want to give us some context for my thoughts this morning. I want to leave you with two questions. The first one uh, is the title for this morning. What in the world is God doing? And we can say this in, in different ways, you know, without even thinking about the words that we're saying, you know, what in the world is God doing? And not actually be asking the question, but just kind of perplexed at what's going on. Or we can actually be thinking about the fact that there is a God who is sovereign, who is in control, and we can seriously ponder, okay, what might God actually be doing? Or what is God actually doing in the world today? And then there's a second question that I want us to ponder as we look um, through the Word of God this morning. What in the world are we doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? Um, Do we have a purpose for how we're living our lives? And does that purpose, does that agenda that we have line up with the one that God has for this world, for what he is doing in this world? Uh, I do count it a privilege to be here this morning with you for inviting me and my family, and unfortunately, my wife's away at a leadership conference for the weekend, so um, appreciate your prayers as I get the four kids off to camp this week and meet up with her there. Um, since 2006, uh, my wife and I have been serving with New Tribes Mission, now Ethnos Canada, um, and because I oversee a lot of the media, I do get a number of questions about the whole rebranding of the organization three questions being why on earth did you guys change your name Um, what does that word ethnos how do you say it and what does it mean and thirdly how has that new name been received Um, one of the interesting um, things we can go right back 75 years to one of the founding men um, and he wrote in the magazine I think that one or two years in this quote By unflinching determination, we hazard our lives and gamble all for Christ until we have reached the last tribe, regardless of where that tribe might be. We have not deviated from that in these 75 years. Our purpose as an organization has not changed in 75 years. So why change our name? Well, there's two sides to that coin. On one side, we've got the old name, three different words, New Tribes Mission, all which have their own baggage and draw on one in scrutiny. And then there's the flip side of a new name and how that can bring clarity to our focus. The word new. Um, These people groups that we're going to are as old as the Tower of Babel, as we'll see this morning. So they're not new. That's a misnomer in some parts of the world. The word tribe is derogatory. It's a way of putting down the indigenous peoples. And then mission is another word that draws unwanted scrutiny. So it's a name that we've struggled with, a misfitting name in some senses from the beginning. Um, And I think it was because of the 75th anniversary that we finally got around to pulling the trigger and saying it's about time. Let's, Let's change the name. And so we picked the name Ethnos. This is the Greek word that we get our English terms ethnic or ethnicity from. 
and it means people groups or ethnic group. Um, so how has this new name been received? Well, it's been extremely well received. What you may not know is that as an organization, we've got full-time missionaries serving in fellowship with us, um, more than 3,000. Um, of the Canadians, I think it's Canadians, it might be of, of all 3,000, one in four of the missionaries that serve with Ethnos are second or third generation. Um, which brings an interesting dynamic when we've got such a strong sense of belonging as a part of an organization that we'll call ourselves NTMers or New Tribers. And all of a sudden we change that name, and then how does that work? Um, so, in a sense, I, as the director of communications in Canada, had two audiences. I had our missionaries, whose identity in some way is a part of the group, but then also all of the donors the churches, the believers that have known of, of NTM for 75 years and bring them through this transition. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised when so many of my coworkers said, it's about time, it's overdue, and we really like how the new name, Ethnos, puts a f- the focus on our target audience. So God definitely went before us, Um, as we had that responsibility of leading hundreds of missionaries and thousands of believers and churches through this renaming of an organization. This morning, I want to do a little Bible survey with you, um, and I want to help you answer these two questions. What in the world is God doing, and what in the world are we doing? So we're going to start in Genesis, but before we get there, I want to give you guys an opportunity to sign up to pray. So I brought some clipboards. One of my roles is we send out prayer requests every week as an organization, and I only brought two clipboards, so we're going to have to make do with that. Um, but join me. Let's, let's do a quick survey through this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to see um, not only some pictures from my trip to the Philippines, Um, So this is a church planning team amongst the Agta people, and they are pretty remote. They're helicopter access only. There is an airstrip there. Um, If they want to go by land, I think it's a week walk over a mountain range. If they want to come in by boat, it's eight hours up the coast if there's not a storm to the nearest town. And then another day bus ride from that village down to the, the city. So we work with unreached people groups. Um, Some people ask, okay, define that for us. What what is an unreached people group? Well, imagine everybody that speaks your first language, that there's less than 2% evangelical believers. That even if you wanted to know about the God of the Bible, it's not in your heart language. Um, That you really don't have access um, to the God of the Bible, or the word of, of God. So you're unreached with the gospel. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. And for my kids who have heard this talk a few times, I'm adding in a new element. So I'm going to be talking about two different words in here. So we are a recipient, but we are also an instrument. So if you guys want to take a cue from last week and try to make a list of how many times I say those words. All right, keep you on your toes. Um, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over 
the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, and here I've got this underlined, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the face of the earth. These first two humans were given a mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Um, God was not interested in just anybody filling the earth, but he was interested in having people who were in relationship to him filling this earth. So in Genesis chapter 3, when we see the fall of humanity, uh, that kind of puts a kink in the plan. And so God has to introduce something new. He, he has to reset And so if we turn over to Genesis chapter 6, we'll see the next part. Um, So here's me riding a a water buffalo in another village in the Philippines uh, where we've got some co-workers. Um, So Genesis chapter 6, we've got God hitting the reset button. He is not completely satisfied with how things are unrolling. And so let's pick up in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, weeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah received. He was a recipient. Noah was a recipient of God's grace. So turn in my Bible, it's over a page to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. And the mandate that Adam and Eve received, God repeats. And if God repeats himself, it must be important. So what was it that God said as he repeated himself? So Noah gets out of the, the boat with his sons and everyone, their wives. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is important because we see this idea of God wanting this world filled with people who know, like, and trust him. And that he is bestowing upon humanity his grace Um, but also inviting us into his plan, asking us to have a role in his plan. But does humanity follow through on their mandate? And we see in Genesis chapter 11, humanity is up to its old ways again. So here is the Tower of Babel. Um, Read with me from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered." abroad over the face of the whole earth. So God said, go, spread out. And they did the opposite and said, let's not be scattered. Let's, let's build a tower. Verse 5. 
But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So this is where we get multiple languages from. So that was one thing that God did in this moment. I want to suggest there was two other things. One is explicit. God scattered them, verse 8. And I, my interpretation of that, my understanding of that, is that God physically took people and placed them in the Amazon basin. That God physically took people and placed them in the Arctic. And that he gave them languages at the same time. And that implied in here is that, and from our missionary experiences, God also gave them cultural understanding of how to survive in the new places in which he placed them. I'm told by co-workers that the largest frog on the planet is in the Amazon basin. And it's a poisonous frog. And there's a special way that you have to prepare this delicate dish so that you don't die from the toxins in the frog. So if you guys come upon this frog and you decide, we're just going to cook it like everything else, we're going to kill it, skin it, and cook that raw meat so that it's good, and you will die. You guys see that and go, okay, we're not going to do that. Maybe, maybe we should boil it alive, and it'll be safe then. Maybe something in how they prepared this wasn't right, and yet you guys all die. You guys are looking at these two other samples of how to fix this poisonous frog. What are you guys going to do? How are you guys going to prepare this frog that you so desperately want to eat? Any suggestions? They actually have to skin the frog alive before they kill it because the toxins are in the skin And when the frog expires, those toxins are released into the meat. So if you can keep it alive while you remove the toxins in the skin, you can then cook the meat after the skin is gone and you kill it after you skin it. I think God gave them wisdom on how to do that. I don't think they solved that mystery, that riddle on their own. Um, There are over 7,000 languages still spoken in the world today. Wycliffe updated their uh, ethnologue um, last year, um, or it was May of this year. And so they're now saying that there are 7,009 distinct languages still used that need their own translations of the Word of God because they are so distinct in their languages. Dialects would complicate or expound that number even further. Um, so there are plenty of languages in the use. So this was in one of the villages in the Philippines. Um, so they are 12 kilometers from the nearest road. So in Ontario, we've got farms with bush lanes. So you can kind of have a, a driveway between your fields from the front to the back of the farm. 12 kilometers of that gets you to this village. Um, there's maybe a thousand people in this village. And in the classroom, 
or in the school, there are four different languages spoken. So the indigenous people group from this community originally got dung. Now there's Ilocano moving in. So you might have one parent who's got dung, another spouse or parent who is Ilocano. So you'll have two languages spoken in the home. But the national language in this part of the Philippines that is spoken in town is Tagalog. And English is also one of the national languages in the Philippines post-World War II. So the posters on the walls are all in English. They're taught in Tagalog after grade 3. Before grade 3, they're taught in Gatdang, even if they speak Ilocano in the home. Lots of languages can complicate these setups. So here's an example or a representation of where in the world these living languages are. So we talk about 1040 window, and so the laser is not visible. That's okay. Um, So population density or the complexity. uh, Above Australia, there's one big red dot. So there's two countries that share that island of Papua. The left side is Indonesia. And Indonesia's 13,000 islands, I think six or 7,000 of them are inhabited. And there are eight to 900 languages in that country alone. You hop over the border into the country known as Papua New Guinea. And there's another 800 languages spoken in that country alone. So very complex work if we are trying to, as we'll see through the Word of God, have representatives from every tribe, tongue, and nation um, represented at the throne uh, as we see in Revelation 5.9. So here's a reference from the New Testament about the scattering that God did at the Tower of Babel. From one man, he, God, made every nation of men. That word nation in the Greek is ethnos. So from one man, God made every ethnic group, every people group of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. So this is where I get my notion of God physically picking up people and determining the exact location where he wanted them to reside after the Tower of Babel. Um, So Acts 17, verse 26. So if God's vision for this world is a planet filled with people who are deeply in love and in relationship with Him, how does confusing their languages and scattering them around this world move His agenda forward? How is He going to accomplish His purpose? So, the very next chapter. So, if chapter 11 in Genesis was the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 12, we see God bestowing, he's giving Abram and Abram's descendants um, a blessing, but also a responsibility. So, they are recipients of something, but we also see that they are called to be an instrument of something as well. So, as was read earlier, but we can read it again. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Nation there, again, people group. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all of the families. And again, in the original, the the Hebrew word for families means people groups. In you, Abram, all of the ethnic groups of the, of the earth shall be blessed. So how does God do this? Well, in one way, 
Jesus was a descendant of Abram, later called Abraham. So that's one way in which God fulfilled this promise. But the Abram was that father of the Hebrew nation. And the word of God came through the Hebrew nation. And so there's that facet of it as well. And God did expect the nation of Israel to carry out this mandate of bringing the truth of God to all of the ethnic groups, all of the families, all of the nations. And so God's um, plan was to, through we see through the rest of the Old Testament, um, fulfill his plan through the nation of Israel as started in Abram. Through you, all of the earth will be blessed. And yet there's this gap right before the New Testament. 400 years where there's not anything written in our scriptures. And Jesus comes on to the scene. And we're going to get to this. uh, But Jesus demonstrated incarnational ministry. He left his glorious position. He humbled himself. He learned the language and the culture of the Israelite nation as a child. And then from the law and from the prophets, he explained biblical truth, laying precept upon precept. After his gruesome death, high security burial, a surprising resurrection, Jesus pulls his team into the locker room, that would be his disciples, and he, in a sense, puts them on the bench. And then he sends out his this new team, the second string, onto the field for the second half of the game, as it were with the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethnic groups, of all nations. Again, God repeating himself, saying, Israel, your job was to bless every people group, and yet you haven't completed your mandate. So I'm going to, for a time, cut you off and graft in another team, the church, And I'm going to give that same mandate, that same purpose, that same agenda to the church, um, to those initially disciples. So Matthew 28, um, verses 16 through 20. Uh, Reading again, we've, we've heard it repeatedly, but it does not hurt to cement these things in our mind. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, scatter, go therefore, and make disciples of all of the nations, all of the ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So we have this infant church being a recipient of God's grace, of God's redemption, but also receiving a mandate, a task, an agenda, a purpose. God wanted, and still today, wants to bless the nations through the church, to use the church as an instrument. And that's where we are today. So let's take a glimpse into the finish line before we look at what needs to happen still 
before we get to the end of the age. Let's look at Revelation 5, 9. Um, we read it earlier. And we just have a confirmation here that God does get his way. Um, God does come good on his promise to Abram of having every family blessed through him. So Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. (coughs) And we shall reign on the earth. Again, seeing here every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Again, this picture of every ethnic group being represented there around the throne. Every family, as we see in Genesis 12 and 3. So when will the end of the world come? Well, turn with me to Matthew 24. So we just read that. And so... While you guys are turning to Matthew 24, a little recap. So we had creation, Adam being given a mandate, um, be fruitful and multiply, Noah being that, given that same mandate, scatter, be fruitful and multiply, Tower of Babel having to correct some of that. So then Abram or Abraham um, stepping in as the next instrument that God wanted to work through and his descendants and then Jesus in his spiritual descendants the disciples, moving this singular plan through so that we have at the um, the end of the age representatives of every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne. And so here we are in Matthew 24 getting a glimpse of what it is that still has yet to take place. So if we backed up before this verse of 14 and go back to verse 3, Matthew 24 and verse 3, a question that we sometimes ask ourselves, those first disciples asked the Lord in person. Now as he, that would be Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? We all want to know the answer to that question. And so Jesus answers them and in verse 14 he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all of the nations, all of the ethnos, all of the people groups. And then the end will come. And so again here we see Christ's focus, his clarity, that we will have representatives from all of the nations around the throne so that at the end of the age, at the end of time, there will be that choir singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Hosanna, hallelujah. So, a glimpse of the finish line. We now know what God's purposes in the past have been. And we know that God's plan does not change. He has been harping on this point um, throughout the ages. Um, And we know what the future looks like. Representatives of every nation there. And we know what some of the factors are that will bring us to that point. So, 
how are we involved in this? How have we chosen to spend our lives? Um, are we even being intentional with how we're spending our lives? So that one question being, what in the world is God doing? I hope I've answered that in part this morning. But then that second question of, what in the world are we doing in light of what God is doing? Um, the end of last month, I was reading in a, a devotional book that I highly recommend, um, Paul David Tripp is somebody that I find great encouragement from, and his July 30th um, brought this new focus of we're not just recipients, but we're also called to be an instrument of what God is doing in the world. And so the, the summary at the top, what could be greater, what could be a greater, higher honor than to be a chosen instrument for the most important renewal project in the universe redemption what could be more important Christ's commission to the disciples in his commission to the church into his um, Christ's commission to his disciples is his commission to the church and is his plan for the life of every single believer no one has been chosen to just be a recipient of the redemptive work of his kingdom no everyone who has been chosen to be a recipient, has also been commissioned to be an instrument of the work of that kingdom as well. He continues on. I've, I've got some excerpts here. The work of evangelism, the spiritual growth of the work of the church and of the cause of worldwide missions, was never designed by the Redeemer to be shouldered by a small collection of paid religious professionals. It is sad that so many of God's people spend their lives searching for some significant endeavor to give themselves to when they have been chosen to be part of the most powerful transformative work in the history of the universe. Paul writes personally, my connection to the work of the body of Christ is not that I'm the attender of something, but rather that I am a participant in something along with everyone else. The greatest honor of my life is that I have been chosen to be both a recipient and an instrument. This has given my life deeper meaning than anything that I could have discovered on my own. This is what grace alone can do. What are you doing with your life? Is what you're using your life for in alignment with what God is doing in the world? Those two questions again. What in the world is God doing? And what in the world are you doing? What in the world am I doing? Are we being intentional with our days, our moments, are we living for our kingdom of one, a selfish kingdom? Or are we being so thoughtful as to recognize how God might use us to expand his kingdom, that we would have representatives of every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne? Yes, as believers, as those who are in Christ, who have accepted um, Christ's gift of eternal life, we are recipients of redemption but he has also called us to be instruments. He wants to work through us 
Don't be merely an attender of religious gatherings, but be a participant in what God is doing throughout the ages. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, uh, that he demonstrated uh, what it means to leave the comforts of home to go where there is a need, to learn someone else's language, someone else's culture, um, to bring a, a message of hope, a message of love, a message of redemption. And Lord, uh, we thank you that uh, you've made it clear to us that you invite us into the same responsibility um, to make your greatness known among the nations. Lord, help us not to waste our lives, um, but to invest our lives in things that count for eternity. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word this morning and to be reminded again of your love for us, your pursuit of us, how you're not satisfied uh, with us living for selfish uh, endeavors, uh, but that you call us into something bigger, something more meaningful, something more uh, fulfilling. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.